Hello humans, welcome back to my series, The Meaning of Christmas. Now this is part two. In part one, I provided some clarification to some confusion that some people had regarding Christmas being a pagan celebration. So, I answered the big question as to whether or not Christians should celebrate Christmas. And so, well, now we know. We know that the Christmas that Christians celebrate is not pagan. Christians do not worship trees, nor we do, uh, do we make Santa Claus an idol to be worshipped. But this does lead us to a curious question. Why do Christians celebrate Christmas? I mean, what's it all about? What is the meaning of Christmas? Well, simply put, it is all about the birth of Christ Jesus. And this is also known as the Incarnation. Now, I'm going to read a passage out of Matthew 2, 1 to 10, and then I'll get into my message. So Matthew 2, 1 to 10 says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, yeah, search carefully for the child, and, and when you have found him, uh, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. All right, now, I intentionally stopped reading at verse 10 because I am going to return to that passage at the end of my message. So, keep that passage in mind. Now, in Judaism... The Feast of Booths, or also known as the Festival of Booths, Tabernacles, Tents, Ingathering, also known as Sukkot, it is a week-long celebration where the Jews live in temporary tents, or booths, that are made from natural elements of the earth uh, in order to remind themselves of their ancestors' time in the wilderness after God led them out of Egypt because they had to dwell in temporary shelters on their journey. Uh, this was also sometimes referred to as the Festival of the Lord, or simply the Festival. But this was the third of the three pilgrimage festivals, all Jewish males were required to go to Jerusalem to recall God's providence toward Israel during their 40 years of their wandering in the desert while living in tents. Now, this festival started on the 15th in the seventh month, which is Tishri, which is it coincides with our September or October, depending on where it falls. So, for example... 
This year, in 2022, Sukkot was on October 10th, but next year, in 2023, it will be on September 30th. However, it all starts at sundown the previous day. Now, the reason for this is because, unlike our Western Gregorian solar-based calendar, the Jewish calendar uses both lunar and solar movements. So, the months are determined by the moon, and the year is determined by the sun. And the Jewish day begins at sunset. So, we know the reason for this festival, but what was the ultimate goal here? Well, the name of this holy day tells us its purpose. So essentially, it is twofold, with the first being related to the fall harvest. Now, during this week, they also celebrated the fruit harvest. And as Leviticus 23, 33 to 43 teaches, Sukkot was to be a time of bringing in the latter harvest. Now, it is widely believed that the Puritan colonists, who were devoted students of the Hebrew scriptures, based the first American Thanksgiving on Sukkot. Uh, a secondary meaning of this holy day is, is found in the command itself to dwell in temporary shelter. So, this festival can be summarized with the word habitation. Now, we know from the Torah that God dwelt with his people in their 40-year wilderness wanderings. And so, the theme is that God dwells with his people. Leviticus 23.40 says, Now, on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And so... Avoiding all work on the first and the last days of the festival, they were to mark the week with sacrifices, celebration, and joy. Uh, in addition, every seventh year, the law was to be read at this festival. So, two ceremonies were part of the last day of Sukkot. One Giant golden lampstands were lit in the temple courtyard and people carrying torches marched around the temple and then they set these lights around the walls of the temple indicating that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles as we see in Isaiah 49.6. And then two, and then by the first century AD when Jesus had walked the earth, Another part of this festival involved the drawing of water for a libation offering from the Pool of Siloam with great ceremony and joy. With, uh, and this symbolizes that when the Messiah comes, the whole earth will know God as the water covers the sea, as we see in Isaiah 11.9. There is so much depth to be discovered beyond the surface of this week-long festival. So, let's go diving into the depths, investigate, and then examine our discoveries here. So, the Festival of Tabernacles is, it's interesting, for sure. But, why is all of this important for New Testament Christians? Well, 
I mean, not only did the Israelites erect temporary shelters for themselves to dwell in, but after God delivered the Israelites from slavery, the Lord had his people construct a tabernacle so God could dwell among them, as we see in Exodus 25.8. Now, the word tabernacle is a translation of the Hebrew word mishkan, which means dwelling place, like a tent. It's the special dwelling place of God. Now, why is this important? So, in short, the tabernacle foreshadowed Christ. So, let's go to the New Testament and see why is so important for New Testament Christians. John 1, 1-4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. From the beginning of John's gospel, he references back to the beginning, which echoes Genesis 1.1, which says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the word is not named as such in Genesis, but it is immediately seen in action when God spoke everything into existence. The, the word, word, uh, it is the Greek word logos, which means a word uttered by a living voice, a saying or speech, and it denotes the expression of thought. And the word was a term used by theologians and philosophers, both Jews and Greeks, in many different ways. In Hebrew scripture, the word was an agent of creation, as we see in Psalm 33.6. It is the source of God's message to his people through the prophets. Uh, it is God's law, his standard of holiness. And in Greek philosophy, the word was the reason behind everything. So the principle of reason that governed the world or the thought still in the mind. In Hebrew thought, the word was another expression for God. So Jesus, therefore, is the creator of the universe and all life. The ultimate revelation of God the living picture of God's holiness, the one who holds all creation together. The Greek word corresponds to the Aramaic memra, which uh, is a technical theological term used by rabbis in both the centuries before and after Jesus when speaking of God's expression of himself. Thus, the Messiah existed before all creation. For this reason, Jesus said in prayer in John 17, 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Also, for this reason, Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees in John 8, 58, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Hence, Jesus had made himself equal with God and the eternal wisdom of Proverbs, 
Proverbs 8, 22-31, which existed before creation and was present during creation. And then in John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now when it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that word dwelt is a translation of the Greek eskenosin, which uh, is the word skenao, which means to tabernacle, tent, encamp, or dwell. Therefore, John 1.14 literally says that God tabernacled among us. God, who is 100% spirit, tabernacled within 100% flesh body he created, thus Jesus is God incarnate. Hence, the incarnation. And it is for this reason Jesus is known as Emmanuel, as we see in Matthew 1.23, which means God with us. And it is also for this reason that Jesus referred to his body as the temple. When it says, we saw his glory, that word glory is the Greek word doxa, which describes the goodness or value of someone. Hence, this, this one word attempts to effectively convey the indescribable, infinite, and intrinsic worth of God's essence, His divine quality of magnificence and majesty, which we translate as glory. Therefore, just like God dwelled with His people in the Old Testament, John and Paul both teach that the fullness of God tabernacled in Jesus and the Spirit now tabernacles within us. So, as John sought to describe the Messiah's first coming, the most obvious picture to portray and explain was Sukkot, the holy day that, dis- that celebrates the dwelling of God. And the Talmud uh, tells us of a custom that developed in the second temple time period. At that time, during this holy day, a priest would take a water pitcher down to the pool of Siloam. He would dip it in the water and carry it back to the temple. Crowds of people would then form a huge processional behind the priest, dancing, singing, and chanting the Hallel, the Psalms, uh, Psalms 113 to 118, as they entered the Temple Mount. And for each of the first six days of Sukkot, the processional would uh, circle the temple altar one time. And on the seventh day, there would be seven processionals to magnify the joy. And the highlight of the ceremony came when the priest dramatically poured the water on the altar of the temple. And the response of the multitudes was so immense that the Talmud says, whoever has not been in Jerusalem for this ceremony has not experienced real joy. Hence, It became known as Rejoicing of the House of Drawing Water. Now, why? 
Talmudic rabbis speak of deep truths from Isaiah 12.3 in regard to the ceremony, which says, Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. But that word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua, the name of the Messiah. And yes, Yeshua means salvation. So the rejoicing of the house of drawing water was to prophetically illustrate the days of messianic redemption when the water of the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all Israel. God will ultimately build his habitation with his people when the kingdom is established under the Messiah's rule. And John 7, 37-39 explains the next connection to Sukkot. So, in John 7, 37-39, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, on the last day of the festival, Hoshana Rabbah, Jesus declared to be living water and the Messiah, just like he did with the woman at the well in John 4. Now, imagine the setting here. Sukkot was in full swing, and the joy of the first six days was exuberant. On the great final day, the crowds were filled with expectation for the Messiah and the Holy Spirit he would bring. At the very time of the water-drawing ceremony, Jesus, Yeshua, made a bold proclamation. Do you truly want living water of the Holy Spirit? Does anyone understand the true significance of this ceremony? If anyone desires what the place of the water drawing symbolizes, the Bet Hashoheva, let him believe in me. I am the Messiah who will pour out the Holy Spirit on all Israel. Therefore, with all aspects of Sukkot now pieced together here, the Bible provides a few different themes for us that we need to know. God's provision, His dwelling with His people, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Yet, there is still a future element remaining to be fulfilled by the Festival of Tabernacles. John in Revelation 21, 1-4, he shares a vision of final things in that the reality of Sukkot will be obvious to all. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. 
the first things have passed away. <laughs> Sukkot was always known as the holy day that commemorates God dwelling with his people. How fitting for the kingdom of God when it fully comes to the redeemed earth to be considered the ultimate fulfillment of this holy day. God himself will finally dwell with his people in all his fullness. And the Sukkah, the, the booth, the tabernacle of God will be among men when the Messiah, Yeshua, dwells as the ruler of the thousand-year messianic kingdom. Sukkot is said to be the premier celebration of the millennium. And as the prophet Zechariah predicted in Zechariah 14, 16-17, he said, Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So, examine the tabernacles that we can see in Scripture. In the garden, Genesis 3.8. In the messianic believer, Exodus 33.15. In the wilderness, Exodus 40, 33 to 35. Uh, the tabernacles and the divine presence, 1 Kings 8, 1 to 11. And the incarnation, Matthew 1, 23. And the kingdom to come, Revelation 21, 1 to 6. Now, ponder on this. The detailed description of the tabernacle and its construction comprise more than one-third of the book of Exodus, from chapters 25 to 40, signifying its theological importance to the life of God's people before the forming of the nation-state of Israel. And yet, yet, it was all mere material of the earth that God allowed to be destroyed due to the sinful rebellion of the Israelites. God put so much care and concern into what he knew would be destroyed. Does that sound familiar? It should. The true temple, the body of Christ Jesus, was greater and had even more care and concern and attention to detail in creation. And yet, yet, God knew that the true temple would be destroyed. Hmm. However, the Father revealed to the Son that in three days the temple would be rebuilt. Jesus would rise again and conquer the grave, taking away the sting of death for all who put their faith in Him. In conclusion here, I shall return to the beginning where this message started. So, in Matthew 2, 1-10, to right, the Magi seek and they finally find the Messiah. Now, is there any wonder why, when the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, that the Magi, the cast of wise men, in Matthew 2, verse 11, did what they did? It is written, 
After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, what is Christmas truly about? Well, truly, it is about the Christmas tabernacle, the incarnation, the birth of the Savior. And so, in all honesty, we should be celebrating the birth of Christ in the month of Tishri, which uh, when the, f- the festival of tabernacles is celebrated. And that falls anywhere between September and October for us in our calendars that we know of. So, but, you know, tis the season for the drudgery of winter where everything is dark, dead, and cold. And as long as we are bringing light, life, and warmth into the world, well, we might as well take advantage of the season and share the reason for light, life, and warmth. Christ Jesus. For without Jesus, there is no light. There is no life. But it could be warm, like really warm, uh, like lake of fire warm. But I digress. That's a message for another day. So what is the meaning of Christmas? What's it all about? (laughs) What is Christmas all about? Well, I mean, Linus told everyone back in 1965 in A Charlie Brown Christmas when he recited Luke 2, 8-14. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Yeah, that's what Christmas is all about. So if you're going to celebrate Christmas, then celebrate the right reason, even if your timing might be a little off. Merry Christmas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.